Um, hello and welcome everyone. Uh, um, I think it's a, a tribute to our speaker that uh, so many people have come uh, early in the morning and I believe there's a queue outside. Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on introductions. I think we all know why we're here. Um, Steve Balmer uh, followed the advice I tend to give uh, a lot of our students, which is to take uh, uh, maths and uh, economics, only he was unfortunately not here but at Harvard. Um, and um, then since then has spent most of his working career uh, at Microsoft, uh, ending uh, actually as the um, CEO, which is his position now. Some of you will have seen uh, him on YouTube or in other videos. He's a very energetic uh, uh, presenter. And I think, um, with no more ado, I should welcome him to LSE. Announce the title of the lecture, Seizing the Opportunity of the Cloud, the Next Wave of Business Growth, and hand over to him. Good business. 
be good practice for all of you because it'll be so important as you take steps forward to, to do whatever, whatever it is that you choose to do. There's an irony to the fact that if you, you know, ask most CEOs around the world today, what is the largest expense item in their budgets that they don't feel like they have a visceral understanding of? It's usually information technology, in fact. And so, um, you know, I'm a, a bit of a, uh, what should I say, a proselytizer on this point, but you're in a unique time in your life when you get a chance to think about and have a chance to study more before you have to go forward and, and make commitments. Our industry is going through quite a wave of invention, and it's being powered by you know, kind of one, in my opinion, one major phenomenon. And that phenomenon sometimes we refer to as the shift to the cloud. And nobody knows what this is or what it means exactly. Cloud, blah, 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 blah. I gave a speech to about 100 CEOs at our headquarters in Seattle in May. And I thought I'd got a mwah. I thought I nailed it. Describing the cloud, and after you know, I was done. It was kind of quiet. We had a couple of journalists who weren't there as journalists. They were there as panel moderators. One lady who I, I actually watch frequently on television. She puts up her hand very politely, and she says, "Steve, I heard about that was great, but I still don't know what the cloud is. Uh, I'm not sure I'll do a perfect job today, and I'm not sure that's the most important thing." The cloud, to me, reflects the transformation that's going on in the computing world from things which are islands for things which are either in a corporate data center or in the internet to things that are in both, from things that are either in a PC or a phone to things that are in both, to things that uh, uh, may be isolated like the TV, to things that can span literally your entire digital life. And the cloud kind of is a just industry code word for talking about using the internet and smart devices in new and different ways. And to some degree, when people talk about the cloud, they'll talk about all the money it can save to enterprise people spending money on IP. Uh, when I talk about the cloud, we'll talk about that but we'll talk about how it changes the way you write every program that, that gets written. We'll talk about the way it changes the way you design and build every uh, computing device on the planet. We'll talk about the new kinds of applications that you couldn't have built in a world without the cloud. And we might think we've sort of gone full circle on that. We've only scratched the surface and I'll talk a little bit about that. The one thing that is absolute, the two things that are absolutely clear about the cloud, is the cloud will open up a whole new range of, of opportunities to use computing in more valuable ways. A whole new set of opportunities for people to go out and build companies and make money off of the back of their creativity around information technology. The cloud will certainly do that. The cloud will certainly also bring with it a new set of responsibilities in terms of security and privacy and data availability. Because as soon as you start pooling computing and data in new and interesting ways, really defining and really being careful about laying out who owns what data and how it gets controlled and how it gets used is a fundamental responsibility of every participant uh, in that chain. And you'll see a lot, there'll be a lot of discussion just about privacy as one example of that. Uh, but you know, privacy is a is a particularly a particularly good one, but there will be more and more. Let me give you just one example on, on opportunities. In the world of science, you can take almost any part of science uh, that you want to today. One of the great um, needs is to be able, is for scientists to be able to share data and results more effectively 
and for scientists to be able to run more experiments more quickly. <coughs> the ability to use the cloud is kind of a virtual computing resource in which scientists can literally share one another's data, share one another's results, have access to the kind of computing resources which no one scientific enterprise would be willing to stand up, but in aggregate could come together to allow people to model and conduct many more experiments in the virtual world than anybody could ever run in the physical world is a real opportunity, is a real opportunity. And one, certainly our company, uh, through our high performance computing work, is pursuing today. People will tell you that scientists tend to be a little bit more proprietary about their data than they wish, blah, blah, blah. So this, I'm not going to say it's a linear path. But without the technology to enable it, it's kind of an idle philosophical discussion. Now we reach a point where the technology will really permit what I think is a very, very powerful new opportunity. So I'm particularly excited about the kinds of new opportunities presented by the cloud. We certainly, uh, we as Microsoft, have worked with a lot of customers, not just consumers. Consumers are embracing the cloud almost implicitly. Sure, I love social network. Yes, I love my new smartphone. Yes, I'm willing to roll my documents or my notes and share them through the cloud. It's almost second nature, as long as we provide the capabilities to the consumer. But companies are also now increasingly willing to commit themselves and to bet their futures and their use of technology on the cloud. If you take a look at the total spending and in information technology, consumers today buy about, I'll use a proxy, they buy about two-thirds of the devices, but they only spend about one-third the money. And so in a sense, it's important to see both the world of, of the consumer and the world of business embrace this phenomenon. In our own case, we happen to have tools that let enterprises essentially move infrastructure, applications, email, collaboration environments to the cloud, our so-called BPOS tools, and we have tools that let people build new applications, which are fundamentally more scalable, more reliable, uh, more available across the world, our Azure platform. And this is just a list of some of the companies that we've had the privilege to work with on this move to the cloud. So new opportunities, new responsibilities, but what changes? What changes? And I'm going to give you four things to think about concretely that I think are interesting. Number one, the kinds of applications that we can write that really allow computing devices to be smarter about you and help you get smarter is very different in the world of the cloud. In a sense, as long as the software that we and the guys we compete against write is good enough, the whole knowledge of the world, and hopefully even the whole knowledge of your own organization or employer or company, the whole knowledge of the world should really be available to you in a way that you can access it and take advantage of it. We need to build software that understands you and what you want, and software that understands and can categorize not just all of the documents and websites in the world, but really understands and brings knowledge. It looks inside of, the, of what's out there on the internet, and it can impute knowledge about that and try to bring them together. Uh, Saul Aspen gave me a book on the way in here written by by president, what was exactly the name? Who's to blame for the financial crisis? The truth of the matter is I have no clue, but I will do my homework and read the book. But about two years ago, uh, I was sitting in my office around Christmas time saying, oh my gosh, I wonder what's going to happen here. I mean, how bad is this thing? What are we going to do for the, you know, with the cost base at Microsoft? And I said to myself, I'm no expert in economics. Yes, it was part of my degree. 
but I am not an expert in economics. But I kind of have this mystical sense that part of the problem is there's just too much darn debt in the world. And I wanted to do a little chart by year, by country, for several countries, show me private debt as a percentage of GDP. I could tell you that that quickly. Why couldn't I just say that to my computer and have it go get the information, bring it back, and put it in a spreadsheet for me? That's just a software problem. But in this world of the cloud, we will build the software that understands both me and it understands the world well enough to allow those things to happen. The cloud's actually an amazing thing because it gets smarter every day. It gets smarter. People write new documents, put them up on the web every day. Uh, it turns out that all of us, as we're walking around with our smartphones, if we want to, we can make the internet, the cloud, a smarter place. Because all of the Sabbath, somebody, if you watched a smartphone GPS activation patterns yesterday, I bet they looked really weird in London with a tube stripe. I bet there was a lot of really interesting things to do with that data to get smarter. Uh, as long as your privacy is well respected uh, through the process, which I think is very important. But I think the kinds of applications that we can write as we learn more about the world and, it's, and the knowledge about the world and learn more about individuals will really be amazing. The cloud will also be a place where we can continue to think about enhancing social and professional interaction. Five years ago, I'd give a speech like this, and there'd be one video camera, not four. And I was always sure that nobody would ever watch the video. Ever. 100%. I used to kind of tease the cameraman, sorry, dude, you know, you're here again. You're making a video. Nobody's going to watch it. You know, the internet kind of spiked that a little bit. Nowadays, so occasionally somebody will watch one of these things, but it's still not what it could be in terms of transforming the way in which people interact. It wouldn't be the same if I wasn't here. Should be. Technology should be good enough that if I wasn't here, it would be as valuable to you and to me as if I was here. Not good enough today. If you want to quickly pop up a, a place and a way to collaborate, let's say a, a, a landlord, a cat, potential tenant, some bankers, and a lawyer, and you want to have secure private communication, hard to do. Uh, if you want to know who's, you know who's a fan of Britney Spears, really easy to do. If you want to know who's an expert in certain geography in uh, you know, lung cancer, much harder to get to know. So the ability to let people interact uh, professionally and socially around topics, we are in the early part of the game, so to speak, as an industry. And the technologies to facilitate that, the underpinnings, and what you do with them will continue to change uh, applications, I think, in really remarkable ways. You know, people are kind of all excited now about Foursquare and places, and you think about it, it's a relatively small kind of an innovation. And yet even a small kind of innovation can have a big kind of an impact if we think about the world uh, quite differently. <coughs> From a technology perspective, all of us who have been in the business are going to have to not only rethink what we use technology to do, but also how we build the solutions that power uh, the, the programs that power these solutions. Uh, since when I arrived at Microsoft, the world was about mainframes. It started being about mini computers. Then it turned and it was about client-server computing. In almost all those generations, if you went to the computer room, the computer room had a heavy air conditioner, these fancy floors, and blah, 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 big racked hardware, and blah, blah, blah. And we just wrote a program. You know, you'd say, yeah, that's my machine. It was either my virtual machine on the mainframe, or that's my server. Don't touch it. It's for my application. It's a certain mentality. And it turns out that the way we built physically the data centers, the way we built the servers, the way we built the applications, were all designed around that model. That's not the way things work in the cloud. 
A data center literally should be kind of like a shipping container that you could put underneath maybe a roof to cover it from water, throw in a little electrical, throw down a slab of concrete, that's all it should need for a building, plug in a little garden hose to cool it off, yes, just a little garden hose, environmentally sound, plug in the electricity and an internet connection. Think of all the cost and time and complexity, environmental waste that takes out of the system. When you build the application, you have to build it so nobody needs to be around to manage it. In our Bing search service, we have hundreds of thousands of servers. If we had built that service the way applications have traditionally been built for data centers, we could never possibly be upgrading it, changing it, deploying it across the globe at the speed with which we do. A whole new way of writing applications, which means people have to learn those ways, and there'll be a new competition amongst companies like ours and others to provide the core technology that gets there. The cloud wants smarter devices. This is uh, semi-controversial, was semi-controversial. I think it's now 100% obvious. When we first started talking about the cloud, there was a view that said, okay, the devices that we use will all get done, and all of the intelligence will move back out into the cloud. And what we found is quite the contrary. People want smarter devices, but smarter devices that can connect with the cloud in intelligent ways. We just launched a new version of Internet Explorer 9 that really integrates with Windows. Why is it important? Because it's about both being cloud, supporting cloud standards, HTML5, etc. But by doing a better job against those by taking advantage of the hardware and hardware acceleration capabilities that are built into the PC. As we buy smartphones, people are writing little front-end applications that can talk intelligently to cloud services. We're on the verge of launching a new such phone, but perhaps the device that I'm most keen on uh, that we'll launch this, this Christmas season which shows a different kind of relationship between the device and the internet uh, is the next generation of our Xbox product, which allows you, with your body and your voice, to control everything that's going on on your TV screens. We say you are the controller. And yet, all of the important content and information and interaction with friends is all happening out through the cloud. So you want a smart device processing me talking to a smart uh, cloud on the back end. I think we have a little video that maybe I'll just show you so you get a sense of how some of this stuff might, <coughs> might work. Oops. Hit play. <laughs> and sound.
ship next month, but it gives you a sense of why the cloud might want smarter devices. You want the ability to do things locally. You want the ability to use natural user interface and process language and voice and action locally. And yet you do want to be able to participate in games and track meets and dance competitions with friends potentially around the globe. And so we need to think about using the intelligent TV, the intelligent PC, and the intelligent phone to participate in this new kind of application that people are really going to want to write. I get to spend all day today in the UK. I don't get to spend all day with student audience. So this uh, for me is a lot of fun. But, but I want to make a key point, which I think folks here probably understand. And since you live here, it's probably even more obvious to me. The UK is very much an innovation leader on the global scale. And to almost a disproportionate degree of population, the UK and, and the US, in terms not only of what gets designed in the countries, but what gets adopted and consumed, set trends that wind up shaping what goes on really around the world. When we launch our new Windows Phone, which we'll launch uh, uh, later this month, our launch country will be here in the UK. And we know that this is a place where if we've got the product right, we're really going to get a good early reception because it's a country in which the early adoption of technology uh, really, really happens. We've got, Microsoft has a base of about 30,000 business partners, systems integrators, product developers, a broad community of partners that we work with in the information technology field in the UK. And we certainly look forward, uh, whether you choose to be in our business, a user of information technology in somebody else's business, or just a consumer of information technology products for yourself, we look forward to uh, working with you more, getting to know you better, and continuing to build the relationship. I think we have some time for Q&A, which I'll be excited about. If we don't get to uh, what's on your mind, my email address is steveb at microsoft.com. Please feel free to uh, pick me afterward, but we're looking forward to your questions, your thoughts, and the dialogue. Thanks very much. Okay, well, Steve said uh, uh, in previously he was going to try and nail the cloud. I think he's nailed it for us this time at least, uh, without any doubt. Uh, he's willing to take questions. I think I'll take a few questions at a time. I have a big audience here, so if you put up your hand, there's going to be uh, roving mics. Uh, we'll take a few questions, then Steve will answer. Okay, let's start over there. There's two over there, so pass one to the other. Um, good, good morning, it's Georgina Pradhan from Reuters. I wanted to ask you, could you explain um, what makes Microsoft's cloud computing offering distinctive? I think a player the size of, with the size and resources of Microsoft, we may have expected to have a bigger position um, by now. Thanks. Thank you. No. Ian Grant, Computing, oh, Computer Weekly, I beg your pardon. Um. <laughs> They both work for me. I, know. I mean, they're both okay with me. I, Steve, I was at a, an event where you were once introduced as Bill Gates, so. <laughs> we look alike. Indeed. <laughs> anyway, um, Stuxnet um, seems to herald a, a completely different way of, uh, a di di different threat to the world, especially the, the joined up world of the internet. And I was wondering what Microsoft's view on it was and what we're going to have to do to combat that sort of um, threat in future. I missed the key word. What was the key Stu noun to begin? Stuxnet. Do you want to take those two? Uh, sure. Sure. Uh, let, me, let me sort of talk. Let me kind of take them in the, in the order there, because I think that makes sense. Uh, I love where we are in the cloud. I, I think we have done a fantastic, on the business side, 
I feel like we are way ahead of whoever the closest second competitor is. Uh, on the business productivity side, whether it's capability, reference customers, production seats, I just, there's really no comparison, I think, where we are versus the, the other competitors. On the platform side, which in our case would be our Windows Azure and SQL Azure business, we've got competitors who want to do the cloud, but actually aren't trying to do new platforms like Amazon. And then we have competitors who aren't serious about the public cloud, uh, only doing things privately, uh, kind of like Oracle and VMware. The fact that we've got a strategy for public and private cloud, that we're in production with the public cloud, that we have already private cloud infrastructure in market, uh, I, I really like where we are on the enterprise side of the cloud quite a bit. On the consumer side of the cloud, I think we have some strengths and we definitely have some, some opportunities to uh, improve our market share. Uh, certainly with Windows, with IE, with Hotmail and Messenger, we have some strong positions. Uh, and uh, I'll say in the phone and all of the cloud infrastructure that backs it up, I'll be pleased to announce our next generation of phone here in another week or two. And obviously the Connect stuff, I'd say the whole uh, sort of cloud TV connectivity thing is really early. But if you take a look at what you can do with an Xbox this holiday, I think it's quite a bit ahead of anything that at least our traditional competitors have. Excuse me. Oh, Stuxnet. Sorry. No, I, I got stuck. Um, no pun. Yeah, pun intended. The the degree to which inevitably society goes ahead and makes a commitment of the way it works onto the back-end cloud infrastructure is a big deal. And we could all do a great job respecting one another's privacy, etc. And nonetheless, there will be, and there will be, not there can be, there will be bad guys in the world. And we need to design infrastructures, we need legal approaches, we need prosecution, we need education that make sure that we can get the same kind of protection, uh, whether it's of personal assets or corporate assets or national assets that people expect, uh, if you will, in the, in the prior world. That isn't gonna be an easy challenge, uh, no question about it. Uh, and, it, and certainly we're hard at work at it, as are our nation states around the world. I mean, government in most parts of the world really gets this. The degree to which government can harmonize what it believes would, would uh, help speed the pace of development, but I'm not sure we ought to expect government harmonization uh, anytime soon. It sure would be nice if Europe was harmonized, it sure would be nice if the U.S. could harmonize itself uh, relative to its state governments, because if we could get some unification in Europe, the US, China, I think then you start to at least get a, a framework that allows innovation to proceed uh, and understand what needs to happen from a, from a, let's call it a protection of asset perspective. Uh, hi, this is Saad, I'm an XLC student. My question is, what is your favorite game on Xbox and why? <laughs> That would be a new Kinect game, coming soon to an Xbox near you. Hi Steve, at first I think you're going to be a really great volleyball player. <laughs> my name's Christoph Dock, I'm a student at the management department. Uh, my question is, um, you were presenting the cloud as uh, the new innovation that's going to change the world, uh, but my question is, don't you think that the cloud is also going to uh, widen the gap between um, 
the two billion people that are living at the, the bottom of the economic pyramid, as it is called, who are, had, do not have uh, the resources and the access um, to the uh, information technology that we have in the so-called first world. And uh, do you think the cloud will be uh, able to change the way that we address problems like poverty and climate change in the future, also for these people? Thanks. Yeah. Uh, the truth of the matter is any advance has the possibility of being helpful relative to floating all boats or not. Uh, in this particular case, this is a technology that will drive productivity, will drive innovation, and will drive advance. It is clear that the size of the world's pie, if you will, will be expanded by the technology that's coming. Whether the distribution of the pie maps to what you or me or somebody else should think, it's a little trickier. But most of what I talked about does have the prospect both of helping uh, people work on problems that are more unique to the bottom of the economic pyramid, which is good, and has the potential for making technology more affordable, not less affordable, because people can share infrastructures in the cloud as opposed to have to build their own proprietary infrastructure for each purpose. So I think we should be optimistic, uh, both in terms of overall impact and potentially the specific impact on the bottom of the economic pyramid. Do you want to go to the front there? Can do all three? Yeah, can we take all three and then? Okay. Yeah, hi, Steve. Kelly Fivash from the Register. Um, does this mean the operating system's dead? Uh, and I asked that question from the point of view that the R&D spend that is going into cloud computing now for Microsoft is obviously uh, where you guys are at. Um, Goldman Sachs yesterday also downgraded the company to neutral, so I'd like some comment on that, please. Um, what does it mean for the development of Windows 8? Um, and also, can you kind of perhaps uh, just give us a, your views on Chrome OS, which is also coming out shortly? I'm sorry, uh, my view on what? Chrome OS, Google's operating system. Well, one more time. <laughs> no, no, I can't. I, the acoustics are designed to go this way, not this way. So yeah. one more time, please. So Google's Chrome OS. Oh, Chrome OS. Yeah, you know oh, that little no, that voice. was funny. I didn't even intend it. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Charles Arthur from The Guardian, you've uh, talked a lot about cloud computing there, but um, Microsoft has lost a pile of money in the past few years on the cloud. You've, uh, the online services business is losing money um, more than any other division. How do you actually propose to make money out of cloud services? And can it replace the amount that you might lose uh, in any migration away from the desktop? It's Carsten Sorensen, I'm here from the LSE. Um, a related question, actually. So the mainframe created the IT function. The, the PC changed it quite dramatically. So how will the cloud computing change the IT function or the IT professional? Because Nicholas Carr has argued that they will all work in electricity factories, whereas you are arguing that they will all be the uh, forefront of innovation. So obviously, both must be the answer somehow. But I'll be interested to hear your opinion on how. Yeah. Uh, let me try, I don't know quite how to read a thread exactly through all those, but I think the first two were sort of how are you guys doing as a company, and the second was kind of what's going to happen to your, to your at least your IT uh, and technical customer base. Now, how are we doing? Pretty darn good. Could be better. Always could be better. Uh, but, you know, we're a company that, I don't know, we'll make about $26 billion of profit, pre-tax, the only thing, there's one company in the world that makes more than that, so I, I'm not going to be apologetic about our financial results, results nor our investment. I think we've, we've done a, a pretty good job. Uh, we're making money on what we do in the cloud, with the exception of our search service, where we've made a very deliberate decision to invest. I would actually advise all uh, young students entering business to understand 
that sometimes you actually have to do, to invest for the long run. You can't be short term and kind of kind of fast in your approach. Sometimes you have to stay with what you believe, even if it turns to be publicly unpopular. If you believe that it's the right thing to do, uh, you know we had a, a round in the early 2000s where people were telling us we were wrong to do Xbox. I don't feel wrong to be doing Xbox with the kind of profit that it's making and the innovation that we've got, and I don't feel wrong about it at all. Uh, does that mean that there aren't things I wish we'd done differently along the road and we'd be even more successful and even more profitable? Of course I do. Uh, that would be the case almost no matter what. Uh, will we have more competition? Of course. If you're in a business where you make a lot of money and where a lot of cool, interesting things are happening, it's crazy to think you're not going to have competition. We're going to have competition. Oracle's going to have competition. Apple's going to have competition. Google's going to have competition. We'll all compete with one another, and all of you will get better kind of, uh, you'll get better solutions at better prices consequently. So I think that, that kind of is the way it is. In terms of what will happen to the makeup of the information technology business, by our count, which could be wrong, there's probably over 20, between 20 and 25 million people around the planet who work directly somehow in the information technology business. They work at a vendor, they work in the IT department of a company, et cetera. There is a, a chunk of that, a chunk that's probably more like 10 to 15% as opposed to a much bigger chunk, uh, whose jobs will be automated in new ways as a consequence of the move to the cloud. Uh, on the other hand, most IT uh, shops, most companies, have a backlog of things that they would like to build that is super, super long. And while there might be a, a bit of a painful transition in the process, I think what you can kind of do mentally is you decrease the percentage of IT spend across the world that's spent on maintenance, and you'll be increasing the percentage of IT investment that's spent on new development. Uh, that doesn't mean it'll happen kind of instantly, regularly, every day for every human, but I think that'll be kind of the T account over the course of the next, the next several years. Um, should we take one, two, three? Hi, Sagar from the LSE. Uh, what's your take on the future of uh, tablet, compu tablet computing in relation to the cloud? And how do you think, say, the growth of Google's Android operating system and Apple I iOS devices um, is hindering Windows's growth, Windows, the growth of Windows in this region, in this area? Uh, hi, uh, Andre from LSE. Um, you pointed out uh, uh, some interesting perspectives on consumers and business um, in terms of expenditure and um, um, actually preferences. I was actually willing to ask you uh, what are your um, thinkings on e-government improvements due to the cloud um, possibility? And uh, since we've been watching a couple of countries, including UK, cutting expenditure on IT services and so, uh, how, how can Microsoft improve it, uh, giving best value for money on this new kind of strategy? Thank you. Robin Jacob, uh, NSE alumnus, governor, patent lawyer, and judge. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Does the patent system assist you or is it in the way? And in particular, in the future developments of the cloud, which are going to be interacted with all sorts of different companies having different bits of proprietary rights, is it in fact going to get in the way? Yeah. Let me, I'll kind of start, start at the end and then, then work backward. I think it's a real good question. Is the patent system perfect for the world in which we live? The answer is, of course not. The patent law, by and large, was crafted in a day and age that preceded uh, modern information technology. There are differences in the way we think about invention and innovation. 
Uh, on the other hand, with that said, and we think patent law ought to be reformed to, to reflect kind of modern times. Uh, if you ask me in general, are we better off with today's patent system or no patent system, the answer is we're better off with today's patent system. And I do think thoughtfully and hopefully in a way that actually concludes uh, patent reform needs to be taken up uh, on this side and on uh, the U.S. side of the Atlantic, and we've certainly been involved in, in that debate. But getting rid of the patent system in some way uh, would not impede technological process, uh, progress. There really is uh, a set of reasons why you want to protect invented innovations. The, there is a way in the system to try to you know, sort of uh, weed out uh, frivolous innovation to qualify the things that are really important. There is a set of thing, negotiations that happen at least between substantial companies that kind of work this through. I won't say extra legally, but it's, uh, it's a way to deal with the fact that the system is imprecise. Companies to try to avoid those issues by working things through privately, which I think is also a, a valuable help. I do believe that the small inventor ought to have a seat at the table. Um, yes, sometimes big companies can feel under the gun about that, but I do think there's an important role for the small inventor. So on balance, I think the patent system today helps, and yet I think the patent reform should be taken up because both, let me say, at least two of the biggest generators of patents are the pharmaceutical business and the uh, IT business, the software business, and neither industry existed when most of modern patent law was written. And I think there is proper reform that, that can help all parties and have the patent system do more of what it has been intended to do. And this comes from a company that you know, has paid more out than we've taken in licensing patents, and yet I still tell you I think the system is, is helpful and important and constructive, just so I wear my, my uh, experience on my sleeve. In terms of uh, e-government, I think there's a gentleman in here, and cloud and spend and the like, if you take a look at most IT budgets, probably 70% close to it anyway, gets spent on labor. So if you really want to say, help anybody save money on IT, you have to say, how do I help people save money on labor? If you take a look at one of these modern data centers I described, they have a lot fewer people in them than today's data centers do. So I think the fundamental advance that will help, whether it's the UK government or other institutions save money, is the automation of tasks today that require a lot of labor. Uh, in some, you know, sure, we always have a chance to cut our price, blah, blah, blah. We tend to be the lower cost participant on most bids. We are not the most expensive guy. So we have been a force for price reduction. But, but that sort of misses the big picture. The big picture is software helps automate things that people do, and software helps reduce the amount of hardware it requires, because both of those things are big, bigger in the food chain of, uh, of cost. And moving to cloud service is a way to kind of bundle a couple of those themes, uh, themes up. Gentleman over here asked about phones and tablets and the like. Uh, I think the the thing for at least most of us in the developed world is we're going to want to have tech and be able to afford to have technology in our pocket, on our big screen, and our medium-sized screen. Big screens are great for social activities with multiple people. You saw that a little bit in the Connect demo. There's nothing quite like having a bit of intelligence in your pocket. And you know, on the on the pocket side. Uh, you know, we got out to kind of an early jump. We've had competition come back in, in ways I'm not excited about. Now we've got to come back against competition. And I, and I think with our, with, the, with our new Windows phones, we really have beautiful product. I mean, the people have to take a look at it and decide. But it is my belief that when we launch those products in a couple of weeks, 
People will look at them and say, wow. I think people are still gonna look at at least one or two of our competitors' products and say, wow. But uh, you know, yesterday I had a kid come up to me after a speech like this in Stockholm and want to take my picture with one of our competitors' phones <laughs> to be nameless. Uh, and I told him, uh, and then he asked me for a free Xbox. I told him I'd give him the Xbox if he got himself a pretty Windows phone and got rid of that ugly competitor phone. So I, people have to do, people have to make their own assessments on that. The, the bigger screen form factor, slate, tablet, very different discussion. It doesn't mean, you know, we, we as a company will need to cover all form factors and certainly, you know, we, we have done work around the tablet as both a productivity device and a consumption device. You know, I've been looking around the room today and frankly the people who are typing with a keyboard look more comfortable physically than the people I've seen typing without a keyboard. Yes, I, I can tell you how much of what is in the audience. I can tell you how many Macs, I can tell you how many Windows machines, I can tell you how many phones people used and I'll tell you how many iPads are in the room. I won't do that right now, but I could, that's, that's kind of my job. I get paid to count that. And so exactly where the form factors are and how they evolve, and you'll see, you know, slates with windows on them. You'll see them this Christmas. You'll see them continue to change and evolve. Uh, but if you really want most of the benefits of what a PC has to offer, the ability to create and consume, take documents of all types, a form factor that actually has been tuned for a lot of things over a number of years, we certainly have a superior device. And you'll see us continue to expand the footprint that Windows does a good job of targeting over time. But the job one thing right now is we've got to get back seriously into the, into the game of, uh, of uh, phones. And I'll probably leave it because it's down here with my microphone in my pocket. But I love my Windows Phone 7. <laughs> okay, I'll take question two from up there, yeah. I'm an LSC student from China. Um, you said early this year that piracy in China is a huge problem, but some Chinese people accused that it was Microsoft's deliberate ignorance that caused this problem in the past two decades. So in your opinion, why did this problem become, uh, become so serious in countries like China, but not in India? And uh, who should be blamed? And in the coming era of cloud computing, which is more harmful to Microsoft and to the whole industry. Piracy or restrictions on freedom, such as web censorship or blocking without uh, legal authority or public explanations. Thank you. Hi, I'm a student here. Uh, I wanted to know what's your take on privacy issues in terms of corporate and personal privacy that go along with cloud computing? One more, and that's all. That one there, yeah. Hi, Steve. Chris McMillan. Um, you talked a lot about competition recently, and obviously Microsoft's been one of the most successful companies in the world and continues to be so today. Um, my question is, what do you think it would take to bring about the demise of Microsoft? <laughs> I'm thinking here in terms of competitors and emerging technologies. Let me start with the third question, why not? <laughs> it's a little bit like asking, I don't know whoever the guy was who invented Coca-Cola to give him the secret sauce. I mean, would you really ever do that? <laughs> the demise of Microsoft should be a very difficult thing to have happen. And in some senses, the demise of Microsoft will require our complicit behavior because we're not getting our job done. I, viewed as, I, I properly view as our future is in our hands. And I think all of the evidence in our industry is that companies' futures are very much in their hands, but they are not assured. We're not an industry where if you build kind of a factory or some kind of capital plant, you're guaranteed to be in business for 30 years. We got to invent, we got to create, we got to do new things. We've got to, you know, sometimes look to the future and, and try to ignore our past because our past can be a help, but it can be a hindrance. 
And we've seen companies in the technology industry fold. We've seen technology companies come from nothing to something overnight. We've seen very few companies stay at a high level for a long time. I put Microsoft, I put IBM on the list. We've seen companies burst out, fall apart, and then start re-emerging. I'd put Apple in that category because they, they had almost disappeared. So the truth of the matter is our future is up to our good work. It's not really up to what anybody else will do. It is up to what we do. We've got all the advantages to work with, but if we don't work with them, we won't realize those. And I kind of like what we're doing uh, right now. So. I think that was about as good a job I'll do it. I'll do of not answering your question uh, for now. Uh, in terms of, of privacy, it's a, a big issue. The only thing I, I think I can add, and we take it seriously. We built a feature into Internet Explorer last year that we call in private browsing. So literally, you really can shut off the whole world of cookies and advertisers and tracking if you want to do something privately on the Internet. It was a little controversial inside Microsoft at the time, but it's user in control, but there's a whole ecosystem of the internet that wasn't really very happy with the decision. But at the end of the day, I do think privacy has to be a decision that users, corporate users sometimes, but certainly individual users, get to make on their own behalf. And not everybody feels the same way about privacy. My privacy, I care a lot about. I gave you my email address, but I'm not going to necessarily let you be my friend on Facebook. <laughs> and if I do, I'm not necessarily going to let you see very much uh, about me. And by the way, if I don't like what you send me an email, you'll be in blocked senders the next time you turn around and send something. So I value my privacy. My son, age 15, he, he doesn't value his privacy all that very much. There's a couple things he wants private, but mostly he, if people want to collect data about him, he wants to get something for it. He wants to get a better service. He wants to get some money. He's always looking for ways to make money. He says, Dad, why don't they just pay me 25 bucks a year? And they can track the heck out of me. I don't care. Uh, but, but he's got a different set of privacy requirements. Uh, one of the journalists in the U.S. wrote an article that said, I don't know whether to be upset about what's going on from privacy on the Internet, and I won't until people actually start using my private information to either help me or hurt me. Because today, frankly, there's a whole lot more collected than, it, than there is private information that gets used. So to me, the most important thing is users got to be in control, and it's got to be a fair and open dialogue with the user. Here's what I'm going to collect. Here's what I would use it for. Do you agree or not? And you let the user uh, kind of govern, govern where that goes. On piracy in China, piracy in China is eight times worse than piracy in India. Piracy in China is 20 times worse than piracy in the UK. I don't know who's to blame, but I don't think anybody, I think it's the enforcement of the law in China needs to be stepped up. I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, China versus, versus the US, UK, people sort of understand that. But if you look at the environment today, it, there's a lot more piracy in China than there would be in India, uh, than there would be in Russia. Uh, and I think the Chinese government hears the message because it's ultimately a problem for Chinese companies more than it is for non-Chinese companies. If Chinese companies are going to become innovative companies, they're going to need to have IP. I actually think whether it's copyrighted IP or patented IP, that becomes important in China. And it's to the disadvantage even more of the Chinese companies. So, you know, we certainly encourage it would be worth a lot to us. It's important to us. China's now the number two market in the world and will be the number one market within the next year or two for PC, smartphones, PCs, etc. Uh, and I think it's really important. I don't take responsibility for it uh, because I, I don't know how I, I could have controlled it. Frankly, we did the same things in China that we, we were involved with in every other country. 
The truth is, as, you move, as we all move to the cloud, there will be a set of regulatory restrictions that come from government, not just in China, but throughout the world. And there is some risk, somebody brought it up earlier, there is some risk that that could be a problem. And, you know, I'm, I'm a little nervous about that, particularly in the Chinese case, uh, that that could slow market development inside China, but we'll have to wait and see. Well, uh, I, for one, could uh, stay here all morning listening, but uh, I think uh, we're not able to. I think one thing that's come out of this very clearly to me, which is that there's very little chance of a demise of Microsoft while Steve's running it. Um, we have a tradition here at the school. Um, it doesn't relate, I'm afraid, to T-shirts for jogging, uh, but for, since Nelson Mandela came and spoke, uh, we gave him at that point a LSE baseball cap, and since then, Prime Ministers, Presidents, CEOs, they all get one, and this is yours. Thank you very much indeed for all of us.